This is Revive Chicago. Listen and be changed. My message today is going to be from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. I know you were hoping for Revelation, but it <laughs> doesn't really fit. I could do an Easter. I thought I was like, maybe I should do like an Easter sermon. Just throw everybody off. Be like, he is risen. <laughs> but no, we're gonna read, we're gonna read the about the birth of Jesus. And I'll probably give some anecdotes today. Some things maybe you haven't heard or learned before. Uh, one of the things that Pastor Steve said already kind of stole my thunder. He was talking about the, you know, cold winter's night or whatever. And it, it's true. Like Jesus was most likely born September, October. Uh, I'm. We can talk later on about how the tradition changed to winter. But for now, we'll just get to reading Luke chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 8. And so this is after Jesus has just been born. And it says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard that all, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured all these things in her heart and pondered them. And we'll stop there. So this is kind of, I mean, it's again a very familiar story. I grew up like hearing this story every single Christmas, right? This is a story that just about everybody knows, but I'd like to talk about a couple things. And, and the first one is, like I mentioned, it wasn't that cold. If the shepherds were living out in the fields, this was the time of year that it was warm enough for them to live out in the fields at night, right? And Israel's kind of an arid desert place. And a lot of people think like, oh, it's hot all the time, but it's hot when the sun's out and it gets cold at night. Right. And so you got to think of like if it's warm enough that they're st still staying out with the flocks, even during the winter, because it still gets cold in Israel. Right. So there's still seasons in Israel. And so if they're living out in the fields nearby, it's the time of year that is still warm enough for them to live. And we often kind of we get caught up in just the euphoria of Christmas, which is fun. But one of the things that I think happened early on in the, in the church was they decided to nate. December 25th as Jesus' birthday because it superseded the Roman pagan holiday. So there was like a celebration of a winter solstice and the, the Caesar of the day and all that. And so they kind of superseded that and like, no, this is now Jesus' birthday because you all are celebrating anybody or celebrating anyway. So now we're going to celebrate for the right reason. And <clears throat> so even just that very first thing, right? They're keeping watch over their flocks at night, but they're living out in the fields is a little bit of a hint that breaks our paradigm, you know? And I'm not saying, oh, well, we need to change the date of Christmas, everybody. Like, we all understand, like, 
Have you ever celebrated your birthday not on your birthday? Yeah, like everybody does that. It's kind of in vogue now. You pick the you pick the day that works for you, right? And you celebrate that. And I remember Abigail the first time that happened, like being really confused. Like my birthday party is on a different day than my birthday, and it was really confusing to her. But you guys are all adults. Like you should be able to understand. December twenty fifth. Apparently, nobody has anything to do in the middle of winter. So let's let's pick that. Let's make that the holiday and let's all celebrate and, and have fun. And so then the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. And I always, this line always gets me because most of us today, we're like praying for angels to show up. We're like, if an angel showed up, I would be ecstatic. Like it's a validation of my faith. I love this. But when the angel actually shows up, you're probably going to be scared. Like it's not going to happen when you expect it. It's not going to happen at a convenient time. And in this case, the angels like filled the sky, right? So imagine you're trying to sleep. You're afraid like all the sheep are going to run off or something. And all like the sky just lights up and, they, and these angels appear and it says they're terrified. And I, I think in our minds, we have our own idea of what the response would be like, you know, like what would our response be? If the angel showed up, I'm like, well, let's just sit and talk, like maybe have a little coffee or something. And it's, it's just, it's probably not how you expect. They were terrified. And there's kind of this holy fear that I think is healthy that we could get a little, like maybe, maybe the angels haven't showed up to you because you wouldn't be afraid. Like you would have no fear. You wouldn't care. I don't know. <laughs> Something to think about. But every time an angel shows up, people always seem to be afraid in the Bible. The angel said to them, though, do not be afraid. And most of us, if we are afraid of something, we're usually afraid of the wrong things. You know? Like we've got fear. We've got worldly fears. We've got fears of so many different things. And I don't need to go on a list. You only kind of know the things that you're afraid of, the things that you're scared of happening, right? And you've got to make sure, like, when the angel comes, it's not to intimidate you. It's not to strike you dead, right? The angel's coming, and he actually gives that good, like, don't be afraid. And <clears throat> I want to take it a little further than probably is intended, but, like, why is the angel saying don't be afraid? Just for that moment? Or is this now their their MO. Like, is this how they should operate? Like, you should not live in fear. Like, I'm here to proclaim to you that you no longer need to live in fear. That's what the angel came and said. Like, not just in this moment, ha, scared you, we filled the sky, right? Like, beyond now, for the rest of your life, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to live in fear of what everybody else lives in fear of. Don't be terrified. Why do you not need to be afraid? Because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And there's, there's a lot to unpack here in just this simple little statement that you've heard over and over and over again. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Why is it phrased this way? And this is going to be, this is the hint of where my message is going to go, the direction that I'm going, is good news was something that had already been proclaimed. But it was being proclaimed by the Roman Empire. 
we're the, they, they were claiming to be the good news. And there was a Caesar in charge. And if you've read the story, you know that there's like the very, the very first part of the story it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, right? It's like you hear this phrase, like in those days, and you kind of know, like, <clears throat> you kind of know Rome's involved, Rome's here, Luke's including us in on this story, but we're not quite sure how that all plays out. And not everybody knows the same amount of history, right? So in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. Why is that information important for us to know? Because the Roman world had consolidated and they were living under what in Latin it was called the Pax Romana or the Roman peace, the Roman era of peace. And Caesar Augustus was proclaiming this, for lack of a better term, this propaganda Good news to all nations. There is now peace across the Roman. The Romans have come and we have brought peace to all of the peoples. But how did they bring that peace? Through violent force and death. You either become one with us, you live in peace under us, or you die. So it was kind of this fake peace, this fake good news. But it was preached constantly by the Romans. We come bearing good news. And so when the angels fill the sky and they say, don't be afraid, I bring you good news, it's in stark contrast to the Roman Empire and their good news. See, fake news has been around for a long time, guys. Right? I bring you good news. The angels bringing actual good news. And it's in contrast to what's been said and been preached by the Romans. Good news of great for all people. And that's one of the other, first Luke is kind of pushing us up against the Roman Empire and wanting us to see the tension there. And then he's also kind of pushing the button on the Jews because the Jews believed that the Messiah was going to come and he was coming for them. It wasn't, the Messiah wasn't supposed to be good news for all people. The Messiah was supposed to be good news for the Jews. And they had this idea that he was, going, he was going to come and rescue them from Rome. And so I love how Luke phrases this. I love how the angel phrased this because he's, he's not fitting the paradigm of either viewpoint. And we all tend to come at things from our own viewpoint. We have our own agenda, how we think things ought to be, how things ought to look, how things should be said. And Jesus didn't come to fit in your box. Jesus came to break the box open. And so he's pushing against the so-called good news of the Roman Empire, but he's also preaching against the narrow-mindedness and, if, if you will, racism of the Jews that said, the Messiah is just for us. And the angel come and, comes and proclaims and says that it is good news for who? For all people. That's, that's us. And it's not racist against the Jews to say that because it's actually all people, them included, them first. Because John later tells us in his gospel, he says he, that Jesus came to that which was his own, right? So he came to the Jews first in order to be received by all nations. But that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what's being proclaimed. So do not be afraid. Why? Because now you have good news, not fake good news. Now you have great joy because this is for all people. And one of the other aspects of this kind of this all people line is that 
the angels are appearing to shepherds. And we kind of like, we read the Bible and we kind of lump all the shepherds together. We're like, well, David was a shepherd and Moses was a shepherd. So there's kind of this like history, but actually in Jesus' day, the scholars have documentation over and over again that the sh- that anybody who was a shepherd was tended to look down upon by the elite class, like, like lowly shepherds, second-class citizens, people that you kind of don't glance at twice, right? You pretend they're not there. In our day, the like the closest thing would be like a homeless person or something. Right, people that tend to get overlooked, and you assume negative things about them, and that's the way the shepherds were. And so, this is also mind blowing because Luke wants us to know of all the people that the angels appeared to, he picked lowly shepherds, he picked the people that were skipped over. The ones who were skipped over by society, the ones who were looked down upon, the ones that were low income, you know? And he came to them and proclaimed the good news to them, inviting them in. You've been excluded by society, and we're inviting you back in. And we're saying, don't be afraid. I've got good news for you. I've got good news for you. And so we're reading this 2,000 years later, and I think it still holds. Like this good news. Is kind of like juxtaposed against fake news of our day. And there's so much fake news. Like you, like half the time we're trying to figure out like which news do I believe and what's like, where is this coming from? Who paid for this article? <laughs> you know, like every you're you're almost so suspicious of everything nowadays. And you see, you see that this message still holds true. This message still holds true, is for all people. And then the angel goes on and says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And again, this is, this is against that kind of Roman propaganda that's being pushed. Because what a lot of us don't know is that the Caesar was being pushed and praised as savior and as Lord. That was how Augustus Caesar was introduced. Anywhere anywhere the Roman emperor went, that's what was proclaimed. Here is Augustus Caesar, our savior and our Lord. He was proclaimed as a god. A human being was proclaimed as a god. And we read right by it because we're all like, well, I'm I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I trusted him as my savior and Lord. You know? Like, we've just heard these phrases all our lives, but we don't realize how scandalous this was. This was absolutely scandalous for the shepherds to hear this message that he is Lord and Savior because it's anti-Roman. It's anti-Caesar. It's subversive. And it's so powerful. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, and lying in a manger. And I've thought about this a lot through the years. Have you guys ever thought about it? Like, isn't every baby wrapped in cloths? Like, how is this a thing? I'm pretty sure every mom out there, first thing they do, baby comes out, wrap them up. Like, that's just the midwife, the doctor, the nurse, like somebody is wrapping that baby up real quick, right? Like, that's normal procedure. Why is this a sign? (laughs) You ever thought about that? 
I think about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, lying in a manger, that's a sign, right? Like, who puts their kid in a manger? I don't know anybody that's ever done that. It's a, a manger is a feeding trough, right? So this is also kind of telltale of the position that Jesus came in. The lowly status. Because we all know the story, like there was no room for him in the inn. And some of you may have heard, but it wasn't probably an inn. It was the guest house. Like it, the, the Greek there, is, it actually reads more clearly the guest room. There was no room in the guest room. So most, most scholars think that Jesus was actually born in a cave or this, like this cave stable where they kept the animals because there's so much family, there's so many family members in the house that it's not like, it's just not conducive for a live birth. <laughs> so it's more probably Mary would prefer like, yeah, I'll just, I'll go in that other room <laughs> where there's not 13 people. Cause we're guys, we we're so used to big houses and lots of square footage, but like houses during this era were not very big and they were probably one bedroom, if any, right? Like everything happened in the same room most of the time, dirt floors. So they had a, they had a, like a little guest room or a little guest area. And even there was no room in the guest room. Mary's out at the stable, maybe even in a cave. This is the most likely thing. So the angel proclaims, this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Bethlehem wasn't that big. So they probably found Mary and Joseph pretty quick. Bethlehem. So when Jesus, because uh, Jesus first, after, um, if you read the story in Matthew, you put together some of the other pieces with the Magi and the travel to Egypt and back, and then they settled in Nazareth, right? So we all we always hear of Jesus of Nazareth right? Because that's where he grew up. But likely Jesus didn't move there until almost two years old. So he was born in Bethlehem and Bethlehem was even smaller than Nazareth. And they know at this time, Nazareth only had like 1500 people. So you ever hear people say like, I grew up from a, I grew up in a small town. Like there was one stoplight or maybe a stop sign or something like people describe they grew up in a small town. Like Nazareth was a small town. Bethlehem, if you blinked, you missed it. Right. So when the angels appear and they're like, they're proclaiming this and they're saying, you're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This probably took them 10 minutes to find. Right. They just had to walk into town and they're like, oh, there's the manger. And they went over to like, it wasn't a difficult thing. And this, but it was the, it was still a sign, right? Like you're going to be able to find this easily. You're going to be able to spot this. It's going to kind of stand out to you. And so first the one angel appears and like lights up the sky, right? And then as soon as he says this, it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And this is again where we get some of that subversive language. In their day, this would they, they would have caught the slogan, right? On earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Like these are lines that Augustus Caesar was having proclaimed through all the lands that they conquered. And in their day, it was very recognizable. We just read it and it just sounds like religious language. 
right? Like it's in all the Christmas songs. This sounds like religious language to us. So the like the closest parable or parable, the closest parallel I could think of was like MAGA, like the MAGA slogan or like build back better slogan, right? Like we've got these kind of presidential campaign slogans that are proclaimed like we're going to fix the land. We're going to change everything. And it's like what politicians do, right? We're going to build back better. And it's this proclamation by a politician to come and change things. And that's exactly what Caesar Augustus had been doing for years. And they're doing it in conquered territories. They're going like Jerusalem, Judea, it's all conquered territory. It's occupied by the Romans. So when the angels come and the angels come and they fill the sky and they're proclaiming this, it's almost like an inside joke. See what I'm saying? Like if an angel appeared to you and was like MAGA, you'd be like, this is weird. <laughs> right? Like, but you would also kind of know where they're getting, like what they're getting to, you know? Like, oh, the angel's making fun of politicians. Like, this is great, right? And and proclaiming real change, right? Real greatness, real authority. Like a true leader has been born. And in our day, like, we got this whole, like, everything's Trump, Biden, political, red, blue, arguments, anger, right? Well, politics has been politics for all of humanity. Guess what? You got Rome, you got Jews, you got anger, you got a lot of clashing. This isn't new. And that's, like, it was actually more dangerous, more violent. That's the context within which Jesus was given birth. It was a dangerous time. It was a dangerous political season. And there were people who bought into the propaganda, bought, bought into the proclamations of peace. And what's so amazing to me about all of this is the answer, God's answer, was a baby. You know what I mean? Like, like we got a couple little babies right here, you know? And I just, like, I look at them and I'm like, how frail and weak and cute, you know, but <laughs> right. But like, they're, they're so itty bitty. You moms know, especially like so helpless and God entrusted the fate of humanity in a little child. That just, that blows my mind. Like, wouldn't you send Jesus, like if you're going to send Jesus to earth, like send him as a full grown man and smite some people. You know what I mean? Like take some authority. Let's go ride a white horse. Like swing that sword. Let's go. Right? Like we're amped up for a fight. So it was Israel. So was Rome. That's the context with which the, within which this tiny, frail little child was born. That's so amazing. Like it just it blows my mind. God's obviously way smarter than us. Like that God would do that. The God would like. I think the devil just didn't. The devil just didn't think God would have the audacity to try this. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, this is so crazy that Rome, as big and powerful as it is, and so pompously proclaiming its own idea of peace. And God's like, you know what? Checkmate. Here's a baby. It just doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. But it doesn't mean it's not true. I've thought a lot through the years about the Christmas story. And probably some of you at different seasons in your life have wrestled with your faith. You've thought through the story, you've thought through the Bible, been intimidated reading it, or maybe you read it and you were like, this is, this is it. And you read the different stories and you're not, not sure what to make of it. And it's something to be wrestled with. It's something to be kind of thought through and challenged like, all right, Lord. But I find, I find God's audacity to send a little child into the midst of violence to be such a huge challenge to my own heart and the things in it. It calms me. It calms the world to think like my answer to violence naturally is more violence. You take a swing at me, I'm going to take a swing at you. Like that's my natural response. And we tend to escalate the violence. And God's like, I see your violence. I'll raise you a little bitty child doesn't make sense and yet it does the way that you get true peace the way that you get true joy is to not respond to violence with violence it's to not defend yourself and you see that just as, as a child and then all throughout his life and people act out in violence toward him he doesn't he doesn't defend himself. If he gets angry, because he still got angry, but if he gets angry, he's angry at the religious leaders. But he doesn't swing a sword. The savior of the world didn't swing a sword. And yet he conquered everything. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. And these angels appear and proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. God, God didn't have to do that. God doesn't have to give you favor. He doesn't owe me favor. If anything, I'm owed violence. Right? My, my sin, my own anger, my own hurt, my own bitterness, all the things that come up in the flesh, the things that you struggle with, the things that you probably deserve. And God came and he didn't proclaim, guess what? You're getting what's coming to you. Now is when you're going to get what you deserve. I've come to smite you. I've come to destroy you. I've, I've come to lay you low. God did not proclaim that. God came and he proclaimed peace. God came to you in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your violence, and he proclaimed peace favor 
it kind of it challenges the religious paradigm, doesn't it? Because we've been taught all our life, we think all our life that God's mad at me. God's punishing me, or he's just waiting to punish me. And in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your violence, in the midst of your anger, he comes and he says, peace. He comes and he says, may my favor rest on you. What? I don't deserve that. Exactly. Exactly. Guys, this is the gospel. That's the gospel. And it starts when he's just a little child. Proclaiming faith. Proclaiming peace. Proclaiming rest. Proclaiming joy. Where all there has been is anger and violence. Christmas is such a powerful story because it brings peace in a time where there hasn't been any peace. It brings favor when you feel like you're out of favor. And that's the gospel. So when the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And I have, a, like, as you're telling a story, there's some details that come out. And like, have you ever, have you ever told a story multiple times? And sometimes you forget to tell a certain part. Then you have to backtrack. It's like, oh, wait, blah, blah, blah. and then you fill in the gap because you can tell that the person you're talking to is not following like Luke tells us this part for two reasons. One is because it helps keep the story moving forward, right? You need to understand that, oh, they actually went to Bethlehem. But he tell, also tells us because we need to be reminded to actually do and respond to what we know. The shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see what has happened. It wasn't enough for them to just hear that it had happened. They wanted to see for themselves what had happened. They assumed, they immediately assumed, the angel must have told us this for a reason. Let's go see. Like, he told us to sign, let's go see. And so much of Christianity has become just hearing only. Like, oh, I heard Jesus came, cool. But we never go see. We never go find out for ourselves. And you know later, everybody's heard this verse, right? Where Jesus proclaims and he says, seek the Lord. Right? Ask, seek, and knock. If you seek me, you will find me. It's happening right here. Just a simple little verse that you just breeze right by. But the shepherds decided to act on what they've been told. And if you've had any success in life, if you've had any area in your life where you're like, wow, that really worked. Why did it work? Because you heard something and you decided to act on it. You decided to follow through. You decided to see and figure it out for yourself. But you had to kind of pursue it to make it happen. And today, 
part of the reminder of this message is, A, what the gospel even is, and proclaiming the truth of Jesus' birth and his becoming flesh like one of us, but also to remind you that I don't want you to just hear these words. I want you to see for yourself. The gospel is about seeing for yourself. It's about seeking and finding for you. Because it's one thing for me to get up and just proclaim it and say, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. And you're like, oh, that was a nice message. And you could walk out of here, and this is just a nice message that you heard. It's easy to do. It's easy to fall into that pattern. But what if you walk out of here and you decide, I'm going to go see for myself. I'm going to know this Jesus for myself. I'm going to find this favor for myself. I'm going to seek out this peace. If God's proclaiming peace, and it's not fake peace, it's not political peace, it's real peace, I can have it. Even me, lowly me. And you gotta, you got to find that. Like, I hope your inner dialogue is like, yeah. Like, I want to I wanna go see this for myself. I want to find out for myself. I've got to seek this out. And you have to, like, it's crazy. The shepherds left their flocks, went to Bethlehem. That kind of amazes me. Like, they literally left their livelihood just up there in the hills. And I wonder what they did. You know, to kind of secure them a little bit, or like little Joey had to stay behind and watch them all or something. And didn't it's like, oh, I knew you guys would see the Messiah, and I didn't get to like, I don't know what happened. Maybe they took turns. Maybe there's two shifts of shepherds that showed up. I don't know what they did, but like they left their flock and came to find the true shepherd. I think that's one of the other reasons why the angels showed up to the shepherds. So they hurried off, verse 16, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. It wasn't just, oh, I heard. It was hearing, then seeing. And when they saw him, something about seeing. And, and I just, I think about like, babies are cute. But like, I've never saw, seen a child. I'm like, I need to go tell everyone about this. Except for my own. I told you guys, like I told everybody. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, children are, are great, but it's not usually something. Like, you don't just see a little baby and you're like, I'm telling everybody about it. Like, there was something about meeting Jesus for themselves and seeing the prophetic fulfilled in front of their eyes. They went and told everybody else. And this is so key here, because they saw him. Have you ever wondered why it's hard to share your faith? I think one of the reasons is we haven't truly seen him. If we saw him as he truly is, if we got that revelation of who Jesus really is, it'd be really easy to tell other people. And you wouldn't even care. Like, if you got that clearer look, you wouldn't care if they believed you or not. Right? Like, it doesn't, when you find something and discover something that you know you're sure of, you have no problem telling other people. 
There's like this, there's this boldness. And it came from seeing him for themselves. And I don't, I'm not sitting here proclaiming like you got to find a little baby and worship it. Right? He's not a baby anymore. But you got to find the real Jesus. You got to seek him out. I had to clarify because some of you just walk out of here, stop at the first nativity and just be like, whoa. Just kidding. Verse 18, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But there's a difference, right? It's, it's cool, but like the shepherds heard and went and saw. All who heard it, did they go see? Like if, 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 if somebody comes up that excited and they tell me, maybe like a major angel appeared to them, I'd be like, I want to go see that. But for whatever reason, some of these other people, like some people responded and some people didn't. They're like, oh, that's amazing news. You guys ever had that happen where you tell somebody something you're really excited about and you're like, and you just go off rambling and they're like, oh, that's amazing. And then they just ghost you and never talk. They never contact you again. They never like, like, what is this? Like you were amazed. I saw it. I saw your face. Like we had a connection. You were amazed. But you took no action. <laughs> right? Like we've all been there. Sometimes we hear things that are amazing. Some of you are sitting here and you're hearing the most amazing story ever told, but you're not going to do anything. You're not going to change anything. You're not going to go see for yourself. My job as the preacher is to give you the opportunity and to tell you the most amazing story you've ever been told. And you've been told it all your life. You've heard of Christmas all your life. I'm going to preach, not this exact message, but I'm going to preach about Jesus again next year. Spoiler alert. You know, like, this is kind of my job. But my job is to proclaim your job is to go see. Go see for yourself. The Savior's been born, the Savior of the world. And it fixes everything. Jesus fixes everything. All the problems you see in our pol political status right now, he fixes it. And you're like, well, Christians did da 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 And I'm like, no, 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 no. They weren't following Jesus. They were following their own politician. I'm saying follow Jesus. He's the solution. He's the actual solution. You've got to see for yourself. And as we get to a close here, there's just a cool ending to the story because it says, verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And this line, I love this line where it says, Mary treasured all these things. It's one of my favorite lines. Luke uses it like three or four times in his gospel. But the interesting thing is the way that it's, excuse me, the way that it's worded references Genesis chapter 37. And there's a story 
where Joseph is really young and he's had a couple dreams and he tells his family about those dreams. His brothers get really mad and jealous. And Jacob says to him, will your mother and I and your brothers all bow down to you? And he kind of, it says, Jacob rebuked Joseph. And then it says, then he went away and pondered it. And it's the same language. Like Luke want, like the way Luke worded it, he wants you to think of what Mary's doing. He wants you to think of what Jacob did with his son, Joseph. And the reason I'm, I'm going here with the ending is because what have we been proclaiming this whole sermon so far? Jesus is Savior and Lord. He's a ruler, born as a child. Right? And what did Joseph do? Joseph saved his family. And Joseph's brothers later bowed down to him in Egypt. Joseph was a type of Jesus. And the Bible, the way that it tells stories and it unpacks things, is it makes these connections to things. And Joseph foreshadowed who Jesus would come and be. That God would pick one of the brothers and raise them up and put them in a position of power to save all the rest. And scripture says later on that Jesus is the firstborn among many. Who are that many? That's us. That's you and I. And it's hard sometimes to grasp, like, Jesus was human? Like, he was a man? Like me? I'm supposed to bow down to him? I'm supposed to worship him? Like, I've heard people, I've had conversations with people who wrestle with this. And I'm here to tell you, like, it's worth wrestling through. It's worth discovering, like, yes, that happened. Now you need to bow. God chose one to save all. And that's the way God's always done it. That's the pattern. He raised up Noah. He raised up Moses. He raised up David. He raised up Joseph. Like, God picks somebody and raises them up and elevates them to save the rest. And Jesus came in the flesh as one of us, dwelt among us, was frail, like one of us, so that he could rescue us. And now you've heard the good news. It's time for you to go and see for yourself. Would you stand with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we can gather here together on Christmas Eve and celebrate you and celebrate your goodness. Thank you that you did not come to condemn us, but you came to save us. You did not come with a sword, even though that's what we deserved. You came with peace. You came with favor. God, I pray today that everyone who hears this message would be stirred in their heart to not just hear the message, but to go and see, to seek you out, Jesus, to find you for themselves, to learn more about you, to pursue you and your goodness.
God, I pray today that we would find you to be our Lord and Savior. To realize that politics won't save us. To realize that just being religious won't save us. But that it's you and the life you gave that saves us. You came as a child. You became like one of us so that you could rescue us. So would you pray this with me and just say, Jesus, thank you for coming as a child. Thank you for saving me and rescuing me. I give you my life. The rest of it, all I have left, it's yours. Save me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. As we close today, I wanted to just sing with all of you a familiar song. And it's one of those that kind of has a heart cry to it, too, when you think about it. It's, oh, come all ye faithful. Where we can sing it together full of faith. Because it's kind of symbolic of what we're doing. Like when it says, come all ye faithful, what is it doing? It's a call, it's a drawing to take action, forward movement. Kind of like this message, right? To not just hear, to go do. And so as we sing today, I want you to reflect on some of the words, some of the things that I brought out in this message. But I also want you to just listen for the Holy Spirit to show you like, okay, what, what does it mean to go and see? What does it mean for my life to go and see, to seek his face, to find him? And I want you to know that he's calling you, he's drawing you to that. And he'll give you, he'll give you the direction. Thank you for listening today. Now it's time to put your faith into action by applying this word to your life. If you'd like help taking your next steps with Jesus, contact us at revivechicago.church.